You are listening to an interview with Nathan Carlson. I'm your host, Margie, and today I'm sitting down with Nathan to discuss his voiceover career and his experiences with God. My first question for you, Nathan, is would you mind sharing your testimony with me? I I would love to share that with you. Uh, in fact, I'm very, very happy that you're asking me that question. I don't think I've had anybody ask me that. You know, they'll ask me all kinds of sort of production questions and stuff. And in my heart, that question is more important than any of that other stuff. Um, I was um, born and raised and in church before I was old enough to know where I was. Um, my uh, We went to a Baptist church in Minnesota and my family was, uh, you know, twice on Sunday and Wednesday night, pretty much my whole life. I mean, well, I shouldn't say my whole life, my whole living at home growing up life. Um, but it was, I think when, uh, technically when I was four years old, I think my mom or somebody led me and my brother, who was an, about a year and a half older than me, uh, through the, the, you know, through the sinner's prayer. But, you know, I'm four years old. I don't really know what I'm doing, you know. And then at seven, when I was seven years old, there was some, I think, evangelist or something that came to our church, and his message, which I couldn't remember any of right now, but it was so powerful, it so impacted me, and I decided to go forward for you know the, the altar call, <clears throat> and like I said, I was seven years old. To this day, I'm not sure why you know, my mom, nobody went with me. I was alone walking down the aisle. And then uh, my uncle uh, was in the prayer room. So they, so they have you go forward for the altar call, and then they have everybody kind of file into a prayer room off to the side where someone actually kind of counsels them a little bit and leads them in prayer and gives them a scripture. And um, so anyway, that's what it was. They, they let, I think they probably let us in the sinner's prayer at the altar, um, as I recall, and then I went into the prayer room and I wasn't expecting someone from my family to be there going, okay, here, I want to pray with you and give you a scripture. And the scripture he gave me was, uh, Matthew, uh, 20, chapter 20, 22 or something like that, or 18 chapter 20. I don't remember the exact reference, but it was the one that says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that, you know, has been my my core scripture throughout my life, you know. Uh, but anyway, so that's how I came to know the Lord. I went to, um, uh, well, of course, I went to high school and everything. And after high school, I went to a um, junior college, one year of junior college. I guess I'm going way beyond your question, if that's okay. But it's it's uh, very okay. Okay. Um, yeah. And so I, I, uh, you know, now, so, so since seven years old and going to church every Sunday and everything, I, I didn't, I remember when I was in Sunday school, hearing the stories about the prophets and how they communicated with God and God talked to them and gave them instruction. And that really captivated my attention. And I was very uh, desiring of, I want to be like that. I want to grow up and be someone who can talk to God. Um, but then, as often people uh, experience, um, I kind of backslid a little bit um, after 
I guess in that one year at leaving high school. And of course the enemy just tries to attack you and mess up your life as much as possible. And so you hit all the trigger points in me. And, and so, but I felt horribly guilty at the end of that year. And, and I said, that's it. I, I, I can't live like this. I've got to just know what God wants me to do. And uh, so I prayed, I said, God, all I know is acting and music. If you could do anything with that, I surrender it to you, but I have no idea what I, what you're going to have me do, but my life is yours. And I remember now, since we had moved to out of the Baptist church, we were going to a non-denominational church and a friend of mine at that church, um, well, there was a there was a music group that came from a ministry called Agape Force, and they were they were down in Texas. Um, and have you ever heard of heard of them before? Yeah, a lot you, of people use the word Agape. You sang Agape. for them. Oh yeah, okay. So you've done your research, okay? Um, yeah. So I prayed. I you know I made that prayer. I don't think I told my friend about it. If uh, I don't think I told him about. it. I just prayed it myself. Anyways, so that that music group was there Sunday morning, and then they came back Sunday night, although I didn't go that Sunday night, but my friend did. And the next day, my friend called me and said, hey, let's get together for lunch. And he told me that when he went Sunday night, the, the, uh, the leader of that group uh, said to the audience, we are praying for actors and musicians uh, because we want to do Christian you know, productions. Wow. What an answer and to prayer. It's so specific, right? I was like, mm-hmm. holy cow. So I, I just felt the Holy Spirit all over that. And I was like, okay, that's, I got to contact these people. And so long story short, I, I did connect with them and ended up spending the next seven years of my life in full-time ministry with the Agape Force. That's an amazing story. Thank you for telling me that. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. What new opportunities and experiences were you given through your occupation of voice acting that you would not have had otherwise? Oh, wow, that's an interesting question. Uh, so much of what happened in my life, actually. Um, you know, when I went to initially went to that ministry, uh, I didn't I hadn't done anything called voiceover. I didn't even know what voiceover was, but I knew what acting was. And you know, they said, well, we're, we're doing a uh, kid's record and it's going to have songs on it, but we want this sort of animated character to sort of narrate us, take us from song to song. We want to have some sort of a sort of a storyline that leads us instead of just having, here's a bunch of songs, right? Mm-hmm. And so they said, can you, uh, we've created this character. It's, he's an owl. Can you do the voice of an owl? For me, in at that point in acting, the answer to any question of can I do was yes, of course. Always um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and I thought for a second, I've never heard an owl speak. So who would they be to tell me that this is not what an owl sounds like? I'm free to create whatever I want as an owl. So here's, here's your owl and just start talking, right? So I came up with a kind of an animated sound <clears throat> and uh, English accent, which I, at that point in my life, you know, every young actor, when they're going to act in anything, tends to, for some reason, gravitate toward an English accent. It just is <laughs> ingrained in us, right? Yeah. And so I did. And they went, oh, my gosh, that sounds great. And so that was that was the beginning of my voiceover career there in that ministry. And, and they did a number of other children's projects. And I was always doing all these voices for them. Um, 
Then when that ministry kind of uh, disbanded, the, they gave me some money. They said, I really think, you know, you have a future a potential you know, to make it in voiceover. Uh, we're, we want to give you some money and encourage you to go to LA and try to see what you can do. And so uh, that's what I did. And it was a long journey. I hate it. You know, when I first got to LA, the people were telling me, oh yeah, you know, uh, it's going to take you about 10 years to really establish a career in, in this industry if you're able to. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait 10 years. I got to pay rent, you know, tomorrow. So, so I got a job driving limousines. I think that probably the most famous person that I drove was, uh, I believe, Whitney Houston, Whitney Houston. I drove her to a rehearsal for a concert that she was going to be doing. Um, she was very quiet the whole time. I think there was someone else with her, if I remember correctly, and that was in a stretch. In a stretch limousine, of course, they're pretty far back, so you're not having a lot of conversation. Mm -hmm. But she was pretty quiet. And then, But I did get to, because I had to wait, I did get to go backstage and that was kind of fun, you know, during the rehearsal and stuff. Um, but she didn't do like a bunch of songs. She was kind of doing a sound check and a little bit of a one song and that was it. But that was pretty fun. Um, the Lord led my, uh, all my steps basically into this workshop. It happened to be that the owner of the workshop, not the one who was teaching, but the owner of the business, uh, she would periodically just peek in on the classes and see, you know, how everyone was doing and just sort of listen. And, and she happened to be good friends with uh, an agent uh, who happened to be one of the top five agencies in LA. So the owner peeked in in the class and I happened to be doing uh, a read in the class. And the owner apparently left, as I understand how I was told, left the, the, the classroom, immediately called her friend and said, there's this guy in my class you have to you have to read you have to see him and you have to see him right now because if you don't he will sign with someone else within the week i guarantee it and so her friend said well we're just moving our offices she said trust me you don't want to mess this up okay okay so she had me so so and the she was right she was right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the the owner approached me after the class and said do you have an agent i said no I said, I have a friend of mine who wants to see you. Here's her number, call her. So I, I went over there, I think the next day. And just, she said, here's a, here's some commercial copy. Just read it for me. Uh, I won't look at you. I'm just going to, I just want to listen. So I read it and she goes, okay, uh, I'll sign you. Um, and so she signed me. So it's like, quick. Wow. this does not happen. Most, most of the time you go there and you're giving your demo to five different agents. You're hoping, you're hoping, you're going to workshops, you're, you know, and if some you're hoping someone calls you and this just didn't, I was blessed. I mean, that's the only way I can put it. And I stayed with her for the next 14 years, actually. Um, and so what I love is, let me think now, actually before, this was before I signed with her. <clears throat> this was in the, while I was still in the ministry, um, uh, the Owens uh, couple, what were their names now? They're elderly now, they're not in the business anymore they did a record with pat boone called ansylvania and um have you heard of that 
you did the second one i think yeah i listened to like I, okay i listened to it very briefly like i listened I, to like one song <laughs> so okay margie i should expert. be interviewing you on my <laughs> career because you know more than i can remember maybe <laughs> so i did the second one and i did the voice of the snake which was the voice of satan but uh that record they did in la and they happened to uh and uh, include some talent that had worked on adventures in odyssey and i think phil lawler or no it wasn't phil lawler it was uh chuck bolte or something like that he was involved in producing um and doing a voice on that record and after the session he approached me and said are you willing to do uh some a radio show it's called adventures in odyssey i think you'd be good for it i'd like to have you audition I said oh okay sure you know at that point I'm like I'll take anything I can get I don't even have an agent yet at that point and so doing that record uh well first of all doing the record in the ministry I did something for them while I was still in the ministry then when I left the ministry and I was then in LA they tracked me down to do that record so I did some work on on another project for them and they remembered me. And that's when they tracked me down and said, hey, are you still in the voice? Or is it, that's all I'm trying to do right now. And so, yeah. So I did that. And then Ventures in Odyssey, Chuck Bolte said, yeah, we want you to come over. And and that's where I met Phil Lawler because he was producing Adventures in Odyssey. And I did, um, I think I the first thing I did with, with them was, uh, I believe it was Richard Maxwell. Now, if you interviewed Phil, he might tell you otherwise because he might remember better if I did some ancillary characters or something. But uh, then um, then he cast me in the voice of Richard Maxwell and I did several episodes uh, in that character. Um, uh, so I would say, yeah, doing the work in the ministry led me to Jim and Carol, Jim and Carol Owens, I think that was their names. And then they tracked me down. That led me to Adventures in Odyssey and uh, did some work there. And then Phil did uh he hooked up with some some animation producers um who were doing a show called puffy yami yumi i did man i don't know how many characters for that show phil just and and they liked me and so they just kept calling me in and i would do many characters character after character for them that was hugely uh, uh beneficial financially of course and then also but just to get my career going and get get good at doing all the voices and everything um and so let me think now so I'm trying to remember where so jungle gem started in 1993 and so all of this was kind of going on a little bit after that almost simultaneously i think so um yeah i guess that was it and then you know funny thing is uh i got contacted again this is back before i had an agent I don't remember how these people found me. I was just working a job at a, at a company and they had heard of me from somewhere. And wow. I can't, Oh, it might've been someone I knew that knew them or something. And um, they said, Hey, we're doing, uh, are, do you have a union? Uh, are you in the union? I said, no. They go, well, maybe we can Taft Hartley and get you. And this is how I got in the union. Um, they, they said, we're doing uh, some voices on, a Disney project called the the Goofy movie, and um, they just had me do one character in who actually before Gruffy Bear existed sounded similar to that. He was a he was a uh, 
an inmate or something who was riding in the back of a truck and he sang a few lines and his voice was kind of like this, but he, he basically said five lines, I think was it. And that was, you know, you had to have at least five lines to, to qualify to get in the union. And that was, I did have it. I can't remember the lines at this point, but that was it. I still, to this day, get residual checks for the goofy movie now, mind you, they're like $10 or something, but I just kept thinking, why are they doing this? This is going on forever. Will they just keep playing that, you know, letting people on a pay TV or whatever and all that stuff. And so that was really cool. And then as after years later, after I got an agent, I did some, uh, what they call looping um, or overdub when, when they shoot movies and, and one of the actors in the movie uh, is unavailable to come back into the post-production studio to do, you know, sometimes when they recorded a scene, there was some background noise that they didn't catch when they were recording. And then they're, they're producing now it's too late. They're not on that venue and all the actors are off on other movies and they've got to fix something or they're missing a line. You know, the, the actor didn't say those are easier. The ones that the actor did say, you actually have to sync up to their mouth movement. That's a lot harder. But so I, I was able to, in this, uh, this character, I mean, this actor, I did a looping session for, you know, you audition to see how closely you can imitate their voice. You have to sound as much as possible like that character. And um, in this case, the reason the actor wasn't available is uh, because he was in jail. <laughs> it was uh, Robert Downey Jr. Um, you, wait, wait, you subbed in your voice for robert downey jr's voice yeah yeah one thing just sort of led to another even even when um the the voiceover career in terms of having an agent auditions in in, uh, in la and at one point even in, toward the end um i i left the agency i was with for 14 years she had brought on another partner and that partner didn't, he was looking for younger guys. And this is the first sign that I got that, uh Oh, this window is starting to close because in, in voiceover, at least commercially um, with commercials, you, the demographic that, that advertisers shoot for is usually between uh, the ages of, you know, 18 to 30 at the max. And the reason is that, that when you get into your 20s, you're starting to, most of, once you're out of school, you're starting to uh, work and you're starting to make some money, but you don't have, you know, all the uh, wisdom that you get when you get older. Uh, and so you have money, but you don't have the control not to spend it. And so they, so the advertisers really exploit that age group to say, hey, you got to have this, you know? And so what they want is, a voice that sounds like they're in that same age group because you're talking to their, they want a voice that sounds like you're one of the demographic they're pointing towards. Um, so the older you get, the harder it is to really still fit in that demographic. Right. And uh, so he was mainly, so I realized, wow, my opportunities are dwindling here because he's really just picking all the younger guys and I'm not even auditioning on some of these commercials. And so I reached out to another agency that um, I knew that I had 
uh, booked some jobs that they were having their guys in audition for. Uh, and one of them was a campaign, uh, like a five state area Toyota campaign. And so I reached out to to their voiceover guy and said, "Hey, look, um, I know that I I grabbed and they and they had that campaign, you know, prior, like a year before or whatever, and they were auditioning for another voice for it." And I said, hey, I know I took that campaign from you guys. Um, I'm looking to move from my agent and would like to know if you want to give me a chance to bring that campaign back for you. And they said, yeah, heck yeah. So they that, that agency was William Morris. Um, I don't even know if they're still doing voiceover anymore, but they were they were like one of the top voiceover agents at, at that time. And But I was only with them for a short time because – you know, like I said, it, my age is my age. And so I, I wasn't uh, booking that many jobs there. And so I came into a period of my life where I'm going, I guess the voiceover career is pretty much drying up. And I was praying about, Lord, what do I do next? Uh, should I be just looking for another job? And while I was doing voiceover, I was, uh, as a hobby, teaching myself computer programming. And it was really just entertainment, sort of my left brain entertainment, I suppose. And it was God because that ended up being the next thing, next chapter of my life. So I felt like, oh, guess I'm supposed to kind of look for a job. And I pray about it. And I felt like the Lord was saying, no, don't go look for a job. Trust me and seek me. That was great, but it was kind of embarrassing because, you know, my friends, we're kind of going, hey, uh, don't you think maybe you should look for a job? <laughs> I mean, your wife is working and and uh, and everything. And I was like well aware more than they were. This was getting to be a bit of a struggle, just having one income. Living in LA is so ridiculously expensive. Yeah. And so I continued to pray about it. And the Lord kept saying, no, trust me, just seek me. Do you have the courage and the faith to not spend your time on the internet trying to find a job, but to just seek me to get to know me better, pursue intimacy with me. And that's what the Lord was saying. And I knew by that time in my life, I recognized how to understand and hear the voice of God. And he confirmed it through other, other sources and stuff. And so I, would, I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to do that. And so that's what I did for two years just spent wow. hours and hours a day seeking the Lord, getting revelation, reading the word, worshiping. And, you know, there were times in worship, oh my gosh, there were times in worship where I felt the presence of God so powerfully. I was literally just down on my face on the floor and he wasn't saying anything. You know, a lot of times people go, well, what did the Lord say to you? You know, it was one of those moments where I wasn't saying anything. He wasn't saying anything, but he, but I felt he was just saying, let's just be together. Let's, let's, I want you to just be in my presence for a while. And we're just going to be with each other in this moment. And, and it was like so powerful. It was, it was crazy because what it did was began to give me an anchor of a, of an experience of intimacy with the Father. And all it is is just seeking God. I remember when I first started doing this, I said, Lord, I'm I'm seeking you. I'll, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to pray. I, I don't know what to say, but I just know that I want to seek your face. And 
the, uh, a song popped into my mind, a song that I grew up in church that we sang, I think, every Sunday uh, at the end of the service, after we had, not every Sunday, but after we had communion, which I think at, back then they did once a month. But after communion, uh, the exit song was, turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know that song? Mm-hmm. It's an old hymn. That song popped into my mind, and I knew the Holy Spirit was using something from my growing up to communicate to me. And I said, okay, Lord, so how do I do that? What does that look like? How do I, what do I put in my mind? How do I turn my eyes upon you? How do I gaze at you? How do I look? I can't see you. So I'm asking him and the Lord starts bringing to my mind scriptures that describe God, that talk about the attributes of God. And he said, I want you to just think about every scripture you can remember that's in some way or another describes attributes of me. Then in doing so, meditate on those scriptures and you will be gazing upon me. You, Your spirit will be engaging the Holy Spirit. It was like he was taking me by the hand and teaching me how to seek him. It was incredible. And so after having that experience years earlier, when I went through that two years, I knew what to do. And uh, it was so powerful. And I used to, prior to that time, just to motivate myself and and other friends of mine, I used to say, look, you got to get up and you got to get out there and you got to seek your career. No one is going to come knocking on your door with a silver platter and say, here's your career for you. You got to go get it. And the irony and the, the great humor of God is he tells me in these two years, just seek me. And at the end of the two years, he doesn't say for two years. He doesn't say how long. He just leaves all that up to you to have faith, right? Literally, my phone rings, and a guy that I had done some programming work for, some computer programming work as a consultant for, says, hey, I don't know if you're looking for work. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I am either. Um, He said, "Uh, there's a headhunter job recruiter friend of mine who was trying to fill a position and she asked if I knew anyone with these skills and you were the only one who came to mind because you totally have those skills. And I said, okay, uh, yeah, you can give her my number. Cause I thought I need to buy a little time because I need to seek the Lord and say, Lord, is this something I should say no to? Is this temptation from the enemy or whatever? He said, okay, great. So I prayed and I really, at this point felt a release from the Lord. I felt like he was saying, no, this is me. So, I went, okay. And I, long story short, I, I, uh, connected with that recruiter, interviewed, did five different interviews with different people in that company and different departments. And then, the they, the recruiter came back and said, they want to hire you. And I said, awesome. And so I went one more time to the Lord and I said, Lord, I really want to know this is you. And I'm going to put, I'm going to sort of put a fleece out there. Um, and I said to the to the headhunter, I want to know if the decision for me was unanimous with everyone that I talked to. And she said, wow, I've never had anyone ask that before, because usually people are going, yeah, I'll take it, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I'm saying and I don't know if I told her, but that is that is a contingency. If they weren't, I'm not taking it. But I, did, I don't think I told her that. So she went and checked with them. And she came back and she said, yeah, I'm actually a little surprised. It was 100%. They all di- weren't interested in anyone else. Wow. I said, okay, I'll take it. And that that led to a 12-year career working for, for this law firm. 
as a computer programmer. So the the just following the steps that the Lord leads you to when your heart really is in a place of Lord, I, my purpose in life is to to seek you to to serve you. You bought and paid for my life, not so I could go and pursue my own desires and dreams. You bought and paid for my life so that I could actually pursue the destiny you planned for me and you provided for me. And you are worthy of me surrendering to that. And really, that is that is the destiny I was created for, whatever destiny you have for me. So anything I can come up with on my own is going to pale by comparison. So you, he doesn't tell you the entire plan for your life. He just says, this is the next step. And you just go for it. What is a part of the Bible that you find very important to teach? Wow, that's a huge, huge one. I got to say, in the last few years, the Lord has been really focusing my, um, or really emphasizing my focus to be on identity. And um, it's, I, I can't get off onto my, my, uh, whole sort of message right now, or this will be a very long interview. But uh, I think right now, the most important thing for uh, Christians to look at is, is uh, a perspective of reading the Bible from the perspective of we are created in the image and likeness of God. And so rarely does anyone that I know of, or myself prior to now, ever thought, hey, I'm just like God. I mean, the that thought seems almost blasphemous. It's like, I'm the farthest thing from God I could imagine. And whenever I would read like 1 Corinthians 13 about what love is, I would just like, oh my God, I'm so far from that. You know, that's, that's God. It's obviously describing God, you know, because God is love. And so that's all my life sort of growing up in church, uh, you know, just always felt I am such a despicable uh, sinner, and saved by grace, and you know my righteousness is filthy rags, and I, and I just felt uh, so worthless. But one thing that never made sense is why did God die for something so worthless? And secondly, what, He created something. Well, He didn't create us worthless or broken. He created us in our mother's womb, perfect, in His like image and likeness. This is, I have to be careful because I'm starting to get off on the message, but, but the, uh, I never really f dawned on me before when I'm reading the, the scriptures that talk about creation, everything that he created, all the animals and the birds and the fish and the trees and everything were created by God's sort of singular voice saying, let there be X, Y, Z, right? Mm -hmm. But the only thing he created differently was man. Or mankind, obviously it was Adam first and then Eve. But what was the difference? The difference there is he said for the first time in all of the creating, let us, speaking to the other two, I suppose, members of the Trinity, create man in our image and our likeness. Nothing else he created did he say that. And as we know from the pattern of every living being that God created, the pattern is the, every living being 
procreates and creates offspring of their same species. Like a giraffe would never give birth to a mouse, right? Or an elephant would never give birth to a cat. The offspring is always of their own kind. And God said, let us create, I don't know technology-wise because they're spirit, but they breathed the breath and it doesn't say anywhere about the other animals they all the animals that live above ground breathe oxygen so they have to have air going into their lungs and breathing so it doesn't say that god breathed his breath of life into any of those animals but it says that he breathed something into this body that he created and that is sort of i believe the birthing of of God birthing an offspring of himself, because he said, let us create man in our own image and in our likeness. And that means you and I and every human being living are made as an offspring of, of God. We are like him. The other thing that I, that dawned on me is every um, species that has male and female the male and female of, are of their own species, right? And even Adam, uh, God said, it's not good you be alone. And so he created a, a Eve, and, it, and it's of the same species, right? Well, what? here's an interesting concept. The Bible says we, as Christians, are the bride of Christ. Well, that would be the first time in in all of created living beings that a mate or a, a a what we're calling a bride would be the bride of a species wholly and completely utterly different than us so it must mean that we are not that utterly wholly different from Christ we're made in his image and his likeness now Christ is god he has no beginning. That's very different from us because we are the offspring. We have a beginning. But other than that, we are like God. So everything in the Bible that talks about God and what he is like is talking about a characteristic that we too are created to walk in and be fully. So the Lord actually spoke to me once he was starting to give me this revelation and said, 1 Corinthians 13 isn't just a description of me. It's a description of you. It's how I created you. You are anointed to be righteous. You're not anointed to be unholy. In fact, God told us, be holy as I am holy. And I remember reading that scripture going, Lord, no offense, but what the heck does you being holy have to do with me? I can't be holy ever. You're the only one who's holy. But yet he's saying to us, you be holy like me. I'm holy. He's instructing us that he made us like him. And so everything that totally changed my perspective. And the Lord showed me that sin is something that is not part of who you are. In a sense, we shouldn't say, I am a sinner. That's not my identity. I am made in the image and likeness of God, and I transgress, and I choose to do things that are wrong. So getting the cross, Jesus said, take up your cross. The cross is not a, a form of 
punishment per se. It's a it's a tool that can free us from all of that that is not who we really are. And so the the the, the answer to your question finally is the most important thing I think to teach from the scripture is to teach the perspective of how we read the scripture and not be discouraged when the scripture presents a standard of living that we feel like, oh, I could never do that. And just to be clear, so people don't get confused, I am not saying that we have goodness and righteousness in us because Jesus said there is no none good but God. But he he was saying that to that, that rich young ruler. He was saying that because he's saying, why do you call me good? And Jesus is saying this knowing he is, in fact, God. No one is good except God. So we don't have a righteousness of our own. We are created as beings who are designed to be filled, utterly filled with the Spirit of God, and that's where our righteousness comes in. We are not broken People, I used to think growing up, you know, people would say, oh, you just need God as a crutch because you can't make it in life on your own. No, that's not it at all. If you don't have a life involved, completely consumed and surrendered to God, that's when you're broken. You're not broken when you're completely filled and surrendered to God. That's when you're whole. So he's not a crutch. He is the source of life. He's He is the life we were designed to be utterly motivated by, inspired by, to follow his direction and his design. So everything in the Bible is like a user. It's like an owner's manual that says, this is who you are. And interestingly, we go, well, the Bible tells us who God is. Yes, it does. And the more we seek his face, the more we pursue intimacy with him, the more we desire encounters with him and discover and experience him, the more he's going to show us who he is and who we are, because we're made like him. Because God is saying, in me, you are, and I am in in you. And, and with that union, we are fully empowered to live the way he created us to live in the first place. I've basically said I was going to stop, and I went ahead and gave you the whole message, so I'm sorry about that. But anyway, there's the there's the long, long answer to your one question. <laughs> sorry. You know what? I'm so happy you did. I feel like my perspective has been changed. I feel like I've learned something new, and I think it's so important that people will be able to hear what what you have to share from God's Word with them. Awesome. Thank you and for allowing me to share it. This is actually the first sort of public venue that I've been able to share some of these things, but I have a feeling the Lord is going to be opening some doors for me to uh, do this a little bit more in different places. Yeah, and I hope that this interview will be a way for you to do that. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And to our audience, that's all for now. Thank you for listening.